Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 26. And as we come to the 26th chapter of 1 Samuel, as we go through it, you're going to see that it appears as if, as if we're reading chapter 24 all over again. And I want to share this with you because some scholars actually believe that this chapter is the same event that takes place in chapter 24. And I do want to share there are some similarities. So I can't deny that, that there are some similarities. And the similarities are like Saul and his 3,000 chosen men that are there to capture David and kill him. And the other similarity is the fact that David does spare King Saul. And he does it both times. But there are also dissimilarities, which are differences. And I'm going to give these to you so that you know for a fact that these are not the same events. First of all, in 1 Samuel 24, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Engedi was that oasis where they had all these springs and these beautiful palm trees and these beautiful plants. And people would swim in these springs. So in 24, they are in Engedi. And now, in chapter 26, they are in the wilderness of Ziph. Okay, and this is the desert of Ziph. And when we look at the event from chapter 24, it was in the day. And when we look at the event here in chapter 26, it is actually in the evening at nighttime. In chapter 24, David cuts the robe of Saul. But here in chapter 26, David actually takes the spear and the water jug of King Saul. And as we look at these differences, they are very different. I mean, then these are not the same events. When we taught on chapter 24, I want to share this with you. I taught on loving your enemies. And if you want to know about loving your enemies, you know, you can either go on the website or as Tony stated, you can get a CD. And today what we're going to be talking about is overcoming our enemy. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about overcoming our enemy. And I truly believe that God has this event here, here in chapter 26, so that we can actually see the love that David had for King Saul, as well as how he won the heart of King Saul. Okay? And we'll go into this more in more details next week, but, but you're going to see how at the end of this chapter, he really wins the heart of King Saul. But the emphasis on this whole chapter is really on overcoming our enemy. And I want to begin by this important truth. And it's taken from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. And it says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so as we look at this, right, as I give you this scripture, understand one thing is that King Saul is only a puppet of the enemy. He's only a puppet of the enemy to accomplish the devil's work. And as we know what the devil's work is, what his plans are, what his what his work is, is, is really taken from John chapter 10, verse 10, 
where he's referenced as a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10. And so we know what the devil wants to do. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy us. And what he does is he uses people to accomplish a lot of his works. And so we see this important truth here. And I want you to understand that this is what the enemy wants to do in our lives. Are you and I aware when we fall into the traps of the enemy? See, sometimes many of us as children... We're blinded by this, right? We're children of God, but we're actually blinded how the devil can use us. And understand this, he will use you. He attempts to use you all the time. And if we're not aware of this, then he does, in fact, use us to accomplish his plan. But I want you to know this, that he can never possess us, but he can speak to you. He injects you with things and with ideas and with thoughts and And so he moves you into accomplishing many times his work. And we're going to see this. And we also see this in the Bible, right? Because did he not use Eve to deceive her own husband? Remember, he used Eve to deceive her own husband. And yet she was a child of God. And so as we think about this, right? We know that that our enemies, as, as Paul reminded us, are not flesh and blood. But as he said, they're principalities and power. They're rulers of darkness. And they're the spiritual host of wickedness. And when we look at the devil, I want you to know this. He's given certain names and titles. Names and titles that describe who he is. To understand what he does and what he can do. And I'm going to give you a few of these. They're not a complete list, but they do, they do capture a majority of his name and his title. And the first one is, he's an adversary. From 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He's an adversary. He's an enemy, okay? It also references him as the Antichrist. In other words, he is an opponent of Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. So as we, as we hear these things, I mean, you can write these down. I'm, I'm just going to give you the, the names and the titles with the scriptures. He's actually referenced also as the beast. Revelation 16, verse 10, the beast. Imagine that, a beast. I mean, when you think about a beast, you think of someone that's ferocious. Somebody that wants to just devour you and mangle you and destroy you. He's also a blasphemer. Revelation 13, verse 1. As a blasphemer, understand this. He's, you know what he's saying? He's, he's, using, he's just saying all these negative things about God. He's also referenced as a dragon, okay? A ferocious dragon, Revelation 12, verse 7. He's also called the great red dragon. Imagine this. We also know that he's also called our enemy. Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. He's our enemy. Understand this. He is your enemy. He is my enemy. And he desires to wipe us out. He's also referenced as an evil one. Okay? Remember this, John 17, verse 15. He is the evil one. He is filled with wickedness. He is filled with evil. He is also called the fiery serpent. Revelation 12, 5. The fiery serpent. And in case you don't know this, he is the God of this age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He is the God of this age. 
In other words, he's pulling the strings. And we see this right in the world around us. We see what's happening. And understand this is that God has allowed him to do this because God has a plan. He can't do anything unless God allows him to do this. And God has allowed him to be the God of this age. And you can turn on the TV and you can see for yourself that he, in fact, is doing things in this world, right? But there's going to be a time where it's all going to end. And we rejoice in that. And, and we know that that's going to come anytime soon. We also know that he is a liar and a murderer. John chapter 8, verse 44. A liar and a murderer. The Bible says that he is actually the father of lies. He is also a roaring lion. And we're going to get into this one so that you can understand this a little bit more. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We also know that he's titled a tempter. He's the one that tempts us to sin. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And the last one is, as we read in John chapter 10, verse 10, a thief. He is a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. See, we have the titles of, of the enemy so that we can have a good understanding of, of who he is and what he does. See, the names of, of Satan really explain to us what he does. And this is why the Bible, this is why God has inspired the Holy Spirit has used men to write these things down for us so that you and I can know exactly what He does and who He is. Just like when you know the names of God. You know what? In understanding and knowing the names of God, you have the character of God. He describes who He is so that you can know who He is. And this is what's so awesome about the various names of God because it describes to us who God is. And the more we know who He is, the more we fall in love with Him. And as I go back to the title of the message, which is Overcoming Our Enemy, I'm going to read now to you 1 Samuel chapter 26. And then we'll go verse by verse and see how the Lord speaks to us regarding this enemy and overcoming him. So in 1 Samuel chapter 26, it, goes, it begins like this. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gabiah, saying... Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalai, opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalai, or Hakalai, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw Saul come after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Achimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruai, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. 
Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear, right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord, Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his days shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. I'm sorry. So David took, in verse 12, so David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the Lord's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue a servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they, be a, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. As when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of your young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today. But I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. 
You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. You know, as we read this, right, we're seeing here the second encounter that David had with Saul. And what does David choose to do? He chooses to spare the king. And he doesn't take out his enemy, but he spares his enemy. Let me remind you that Saul had made himself an enemy of David, but David did not make himself an enemy of Saul. And as we look at this, right, we see that David had every right to take out his enemy. But he decides to spare him. And with this, let's go verse by verse and see what the Spirit of God wants to teach us. As we go back to verse 1, it says there, Now the Siphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakali, opposite to Shimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalai, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. Let's stop here. Here we have these people, these people that are the Ziphites, and they come to Saul, their allegiance was to Saul, understand this, their allegiance was not to David, but their allegiance was to Saul. And so they come to Saul and they say, Saul, David is hiding in the hill of Hekelah, Hekelah, opposite Jeshaman. And so as we see immediately, as he's told this, that Saul rises up, he gathers his 3,000 chosen men and seeks to capture and to kill David. I want to share this about these Ziphites. These Ziphites were not the enemies of Israel. I want you to know that these were actually a, a, a tribe from the people of Judah. So they were actually from the same tribe that David came from. Imagine this. They were from the same tribe as David. They were actually brothers to David, right? They were from the same family. And they were living there in the desert of Ziph. But yet as we read here in verse 1, that they betrayed David, right? And they went to King Saul. And understand this, this was not the same. I mean, this is not the only time... That they have done this. What's crazy about this is that the Ziphites have previously done the same thing. They actually went to Saul when David had gone into the wilderness of Ziph. So this is actually the second time that they're doing this. Let me read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 19. And it says how the Ziphites had gone to Saul at that time also. It says, then the Ziphites came up to Saul at at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the wood, in the woods, in the hill of Hakali, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down. 
And our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. So the people of David, guess what? They betrayed David. They turned their backs on David. And they aligned themselves with King Saul. And so immediately King Saul, as he did in times past, he goes out there, takes his 3,000 chosen men to capture David. I want you to know one thing about King Saul. And I want you to know that this truth is also the truth of our enemy. He is relentless. Okay? In other words, he doesn't give up. He is constant in his attacks. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you six points. And this is the first point about our enemy. He is relentless. Okay? He doesn't stop. He's always looking for an opportune time to attack you. See, when you are unaware, understand this, the devil is is out there. And he's looking for the opportune time to bring you down. He's looking for the opportune time to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's looking for. You know, when we look at Luke chapter 4, verse 13, when Satan was tempting Jesus, when Jesus was at his weakest physical point, after he had fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, the devil came to tempt him. And look at what it tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, because I want to focus on the second portion of this scripture. It says, now when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. See, they, I mean, the devil is always looking for an opportune time. If he was looking for an opportune time with Jesus, how much more us? Remember this, the devil is out there and he wants to take you down. He is relentless. He doesn't stop. He is constant in his attacks. And he's always looking for when you are your we- at your weakest point. When he can take you down. Whatever you think you're strong in, he also looks at that strength and tries to take you down with, with that. See, he's always looking and trying to capture every moment to bring you down. And he never stops. Just like King Saul. King Saul was relentless. And remember, King Saul is only a puppet of the enemy. But King Saul is, is constantly after David. He doesn't stop. And I, want, I share this and I stress this because the devil is after you. For those of you that gave your hearts to Jesus Christ by faith, he lost you. He once had you. You were once one of his. But when he lost you, he's out to get you back. He's not happy that he lost somebody. And so he looks for an opportune time to get you, to bring you down, to kill you, to destroy you. And as we keep reading in verse 3, it it says this. It says that, And so encamped in the hill of Hekelah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. I want to share this with you. Saul arrives where David is hiding out. So where David is hiding, remember the the people of Ziph, they told Saul where he was. And so Saul arrives there, King Saul arrives where David is. And understand this about David is David senses His arrival. 
He knows that, you know what? King Saul, the one that has made himself an enemy to me, he's arrived, he's around. And so what does David say? It tells us that he sends out spies, and in fact, they confirm that the enemy is there, that King Saul is there. And the reason I bring this up is because, see, there's a very important principle here. Do you know when the enemy is at hand? See, David sensed it, and then he sent out men, and they confirmed it. See, I think that we can learn from David here. See, David was alert. He was watchful. David was constantly looking out for the enemy. Which brings me to my second point. Be watchful for the devil. Be watchful for this enemy. See, we just read, right, that he's always looking for an opportune time. And look at what, it, what Peter tells us in his first letter, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. See, David was on the lookout for his enemies. Are we like David? See, this is why Peter told us this truth that God revealed to him, right? See, God revealed to David or to Peter that we have an adversary, an opponent. Understand this. We have an opponent and his name is called the devil. And he is looking to devour you is what 1 Peter 5 tells us. And he describes him as a roaring lion. Okay? Why a roaring lion? Okay? Some of us may think, well, it's because they're roaring and they're so hungry, right? Let me share this with you. Lions do not roar when they're hungry. Okay? I want you to know this. Lions do not roar when they're hungry. Lions do not roar when they're ready to attack their enemy. Okay, why? If, if they were ready to attack their enemy and they would roar, guess what, the, uh, what, their enemy, what, what their prey would do? They would run, right? And the lion is not as fast as some of these. So he wouldn't roar for this reason. You know why the lion roars? He roars to let us know that we are in his territory. That's why he roars. And the reason why I share this important truth with you is because the enemy roars like a lion to let us know that we are in his territory today. You must remember that he is the God of this age. As he shared with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. See, as long as you are here on earth, he is roaring to let you know that we are in his territory. And understand this, is that he is seeking whom he may devour. And this is what's so amazing about this enemy is that he wants to devour you. He wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. See, as long as you are remembering, see, God wants you to remember that you are right now in the territory that the enemy is around you. This is why we have this scripture to remind us that we are right now in, en in the territory of the enemy. That you know, just because you're in church, this doesn't mean that the devil isn't here either. Remember this. The enemy is around and he desires to attack. He desires to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And this is why we are to be watchful just like David. Let's learn from David. 
Let's be watchful. Let's be alert. Understand that the enemy is always around us. And he's seeking to devour. Let's keep reading in verse 5. It says, So David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people and camped all around them. Then David answered and said to Achimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruai, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai Abishai said, I will go down with you. What we have here is that David goes out to see where Saul is encamped. And he sees that Saul, he sees it from a distance. Understand this, this is from a distance. He sees that Saul is there in the middle. He sees that Abner, his general, is right next to him. And understand this, he has 3,000 trained soldiers that are all around King Saul. And so David, David asked two of his men, he asked their Achimelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zeruai, brother of Job. He asked him, which one of you will go with me? And understand this, it was going to be very difficult, right? I mean, 3,000 men, 3,000 men, that's a lot of people. I mean, here, I mean, I, I don't know how many are here, but there's, what, over 100 of you probably here. And to think, I mean, you know, you just see how many there are here, right? And to think that, that there was 3,000 men. And for David to go right in there where King Saul was, wasn't going to be a very easy thing. Understand this, it was going to be a very bold act to go down into the army of 3,000 chosen soldiers. Remember, Saul would pick the very best. Saul wasn't just going to say, hey, give me 3,000 men. No, he chose, it says that he chose 3,000. He chose the most skilled, the most valor, the most courageous men to go out and find David. And so as he sees him, right, he desires to go there. And I do do believe one thing here. That David felt the need to proclaim his innocence to King Saul. But I also know one thing, is that God had placed it upon David's heart to do this because God wanted David to learn to trust in him. He wanted David to know that, you know what, your time is coming soon because the words that Saul would say to him would confirm God's calling upon David's life. And God wanted David to hear that because God knew what David would do after this and we're going to cover this next week. What many of us do sometimes, and I'm not going to get into that, but, they, but God wanted David to hear this because, see, we make mistakes. Even though God confirms things to us, even though He has people speak to us, we still do things on our own flesh. And yet God was showing David, trust in me. But as we go back here, right, David asks, who's going to go with me? And Abishai agrees to go with David. Very brave of him, right? 
a courageous man, a man of valor, a man of courage. And so let's keep reading. Verse 7 says, So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear struck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. Imagine this. How crazy is this, right? Let's think about this, right? David, King David, I mean, he's not King David. David at this time, he goes into the camp and there's 3,000 men, trained soldiers. And he walks through all these soldiers and he gets right in front of King Saul. And King Saul is sleeping. And he has his spear, the sign of authority that's next to him, as well as the jug of water. And there Abner, his commander, right? And remember, he has trained soldiers himself. This is a general. This is a commander. He's right next to him. And he has all these soldiers around him. And the courage of David. The courage of Abishai. But immediately, as soon as he gets there, what do you have? Abishai begins to tempt David. He tempts David. Remember, we're talking about how God, how the devil uses even his followers to tempt others. Just like Eve, her own husband. See, we've got to be watchful that we're not being used of the enemy to do his work. And that's what you have here, right? You have here the, the fact that Abishai is tempting David to kill off King Saul. And Abishai says this, all I need is one shot. You know what? I'll get that spear and I'll make sure that I put it through his head and he won't live after this. Remember, he was a trained soldier and he could do this. But he was being tempted, tempted by the devil See, and this is point number three. We must be reminded that the devil constantly is tempting us. The devil tempts. See, I want to share this with you as we talked about the story of Jesus. As he was tempted after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 4 beginning in verse 3. In verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. We're going to stop here. See, Matthew wants us to know, as he writes, that he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. See, Matthew wants us to know that Jesus at this time, he is physically weak. He is physically weak. But understand this. Is that though he was physically weak. He was actually. Spiritually strong. See because when you fast. You have a strength within you. Because God is the one increasing. And you are the one decreasing. And as we look at this right. As we think about this. The fact that Jesus was tempted when he was physically weak, how much more will we? How much more will we? See, temptation comes from the devil. 
understand this. Temptation is from the devil. And he has his assigned demons. I don't want any of us here to think that we are so, you know what, that we are such great people that the devil comes to tempt us himself. There are certain people that the devil will go and tempt. But for us, remember, the devil has an assignment of demons. Remember, he took a third of the, of the demons. He, he took them with him, right, as he was cast out of heaven. And we know there are millions of them. We don't know how many, but we know there's, there's many and many of them. And so, just like, you know what, there's order with Michael the archangel who leads the angels. And, and then there's others, there's offices, right, and, and Gabriel and all of these. You know what? It's the same thing with, with the devil. He has his what? His assignments. He has his demons. And they're assigned to us. And they're used to tempt us. And I want to confirm to you one thing because, see, many people think, well, they'll say sometimes, you know what, I was, God tempted me. Or, and I want you to know that that's false because temptation only comes from the devil. And temptation also comes from your flesh. Okay? Remember that temptation comes from the devil and temptation comes from your flesh. Let me read this to you from James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is a man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Death. See, our temptations are from the devil as well as our flesh. But understand this. The promise is to those that overcome temptation, the crown of life is promised to all of us who remain faithful to the Lord. And as we read how David overcame the temptation, right? He overcame the temptation, his flesh, as well as the enemy that was using Abishai. You know what? It wasn't an easy thing. I want you to know how hard this was. He's been on the run for over eight years now. As we think about how long he's been on the run, remember, he's a fugitive. He's, he's been running like a wild animal. He's had, he can't even go home. He can't be with his family. He's constantly on the run. He's constantly having to find food. He's like a beggar out there hoping that people would feed him. It wasn't an easy thing. And yet, he has the enemy that's right there before him. How would we react to this, right? If, if we know that this man wants to take us out, if I take him out, then guess what? I become king. So understand the, the spiritual warfare that was going on here. Just the battle that was in, in his mind, right? With his own flesh as well as I by shy. Tempting them and saying, God has asked you. God has delivered our enemy into our hands. This is what Abishai is saying. Imagine this. Let's read verse 9. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed? And be guiltless. David said furthermore, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Or his days shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. Abishai, David lets him know that we can't take 
the life of the Lord's chosen king. It is the Lord's. It is the Lord who will take down his chosen. Either he says God will strike him or God will take his life or Saul will go into battle and die. But I'm not going to take his life. This is up to the Lord. It's not my responsibility. It's not in my hands. This is the Lord's. I want you to know what David is sharing right now. David is sharing what we've learned from Romans chapter 12, verse 19, where it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, what this scripture is saying is that vengeance is God's, it's not ours. We're not called to take out our enemies. It's God's responsibility. It's His. If He's going to do it, He's going to take care of it. It's not our. It's not ours to do. So what we see David doing is David is really here. He's quoting the scriptures, which leads me to point number four. We overcome the devil with the word of God. Point number four is that we overcome the devil with the word of God. The advice that, Abish- that David gave Abishai was this, was the truth of God, that vengeance is not mine, right? The Lord's going to repay. The Lord's going to take him out. The Lord's going to kill him. The Lord's going to send him to battle and, and he's going to die. It's not mine. It's not me to do it. And remember Jesus when he was tempted there in Matthew chapter 4? Remember as we've been reading? How was it that The Lord overcame the devil by the truth of his word. See, what's so amazing about this is that the devil cannot have victory when he is tempting you, when you fight back with scripture. See, when we have temptation or we are put in a situation where he is tempting us, we can overcome the temptations of Satan by standing on his truth. See, Satan cannot overcome truth, but we can overcome temptation with truth. Satan cannot overcome truth, but we can overcome temptation with truth. See, we overcome the temptations of Satan by the truth of his word. And this is what an amazing, what we have here is because we know the word of God and when we're tempted, we fight back with the word of God. And you will see yourself walking in victory. See, every single one of us, believe me, just like Jesus, will be tempted. And Jesus gave us the example of how he fought up Satan with his word. And the same thing with us. You and I can fight off the temptation of Satan with the truth of his word. As we keep reading in verse 12, it says this. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head. And they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them imagine this David takes the spear himself David wasn't about to allow Abishai to take the spear imagine if David said take the spear Abishai he was thinking man if he has that spear what's he going to do with the spear he's going to kill King Saul so instead David takes the spear himself Using wisdom here, right? Making sure that that, that Abishai himself isn't tempted to take out King Saul. Remember, the spear was a what? A symbol of the king's authority. 
And they also take the jug of water. And as we look at this, we see why David is able to pass through 3,000 trained soldiers. Why was he able to do this? Because the Lord was with him. The Lord had placed a deep sleep upon the 3,000 soldiers. And because of this, David was able to stand. Remember, David is standing before his enemy. David is standing there before King Saul. You have 3,000 men around him and David is standing. He's able to stand. He's able to withstand. And as I say this, the reason I say this is because you and I can walk in victory through the battlefield. You and I can walk in victory as a lion roars. Because we are told this in His Word. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This is my fifth point. If you want to have victory over the enemy on a daily basis, point number five is you need to put on the armor of God. We put on the armor of God to stand against the strategies of Satan. And some of you may be thinking, well, you know what, if I put this on, you know what, what good does it do? I want to remind you of one thing. Everything that we are as Christians is by faith. Everything is by faith. I'm going to ask, and I want you to be honest with me here. Who here puts on the armor of God on a daily basis? Raise your hand. For those of you that are not putting on the armor, I am encouraging you to do this. Please put it on. You are prey to the enemy. See, as I've been, I read to you, right? If we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, the Word of God tells us to put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God. It's not our armor. It's His armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, and the shield of faith. You know that I put this on daily because I know I'm a target for the enemy. You are a target for the enemy. And by faith, I put this on. Begin to memorize the body, the body armor and put it on daily. Everything we do is by faith. You believe in a God that you can't see. You do it by faith. We can't see the armor that is put on us, but we do it by faith. Everything is by faith. And believe me, you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Against his strategies. And if you aren't doing this, you find yourself tempted. You find yourself falling. You find yourself doing sin. You find yourself practicing sin because you don't have the armor of God on. Paul didn't just say it to say it. Paul said it to instruct us to be able to walk in victory. See, the enemy cannot have victory over us when we put on the armor of God. We can stand and withstand the strategies of Satan. And this is what you see David doing. See, David was standing. He was withstanding. And as we keep reading in verse 13, it says this. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill, afar off, a great distance being between them. See, 
They both leave. Abishai as well as David. They leave. They don't fall prey to sin. Not, they both didn't sin. Abishai was corrected. He was, you know what, he, he, was, he was rebuked. And so they both leave, right? And they go to the other side. And I want to I share one thing with you. Because the Bible also gives us another way to overcome the enemy. And it's from James chapter 4 verse 7. And this is point number 6. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Okay? Resist the devil. This is the way you and I can overcome temptation. As it says here in James chapter 4 verse 7. It says... Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, as we see this, I want you to understand that David resisted the temptations that the devil had through Abishai. We also see that Abishai was resi- also resisted the temptation that he had. Why did they resist? Because they submitted to God. And when you submit to God, believe me, the devil flees. This is what the the scriptures say. See, David had no regrets. He trusted God. He submitted to his word. He withstood the devil's temptation and the devil left. And we know one thing that he experienced victory. How many of us are trusting? How many of us are submitting, meaning yielding to God and to his word? And when we do this, we can experience the same victory. To stand on that mountaintop as David was standing. To stand on the hill as David was standing. You and I can overcome the devil when we submit to God and when we resist the devil. As we keep reading in verse 14, it says this. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not guarded your master and the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. You know, as we see this, right, David. David calls out Abner. This is the general. This is the commander of Saul's army. And as he calls him out, he calls him out and he says, what kind of man are you? You know, what what kind of soldier are you? What kind of general are you? You didn't guard the king. You failed to protect your master. You failed to protect the anointed. You failed to protect your leader. And you should die. You should die. You failed at your responsibilities. You failed at the things that you should be doing. You know, as we see this, we see really a principle from David. To protect the leaders. To protect those that are over you. 
And this is what's so amazing about David is that we can learn so many things from the life of David and from the principles that he teaches. Just by his spoken words and saying, you know what? You failed to do what you were called to do. You know, as we keep reading here in verse 17, it goes on to say, Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. So Saul awakes from his sleep. He hears the voice of David and he questions, Is it you, my son David? And David responds, It is I, my lord, O king. The last time when Saul had asked David, David, is that you? Is that your voice that I hear from 1 Samuel 20, 20, uh, in 24? When he said, you know what, is it you? And I want you to know that at that time, that David, David referenced Saul as his father. He referenced Saul as his father when he cut the robe of Saul in 1 Samuel 24 verse 11. But right now, he doesn't reference him as his father. And you know why? Because for those of you that were here last week, at the end of chapter 25, it states that Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to another man. And David knew that Saul had given his, own, his wife, which was Saul's daughter, to another man. He was no longer his father-in-law. I figured that was, just, that was interesting because he doesn't reference him as his father. He knew. As we keep reading in verse 18, he says, And he said, Why does my Lord thus pursue a servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the king. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. David immediately begins to speak after Saul says, Is that you, David? And then David says, What have I done to you, Saul? If I have done anything wrong, I will offer an a sacrifice to the Lord for the wrong that I've done, for the sin that I've committed. But if your men are falsely accusing me, may the Lord curse them. That's what he's saying. For I have been taken, he says, from the land where I, was, where I, was, where I, at, where I am able to worship the true Lord, the true King of Kings. But now I can't go there and I have to go to other lands to serve other gods. David says, I'm only a flea. A flea that is hard to catch. How many of you have tried to catch fleas? Not on you, but on dogs. They're hard to catch. And that's what David is saying. I'm hard to catch. I'm just a flea. He says, I'm also a partridge. I don't know if you know this about partridges, but about partridge. But these are these birds, they, they, they can't really fly. They don't fly a very long distance, but they usually run away. He's saying, I'm running, I'm like a partridge, I run from my enemies. And then this is how Saul responds. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. 
Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Exceedingly. King Saul admits his guilt and his sin. And this time says, I will harm you no more. And believe me, he doesn't pursue him after this. He says, you didn't seek vengeance on me, but I act like a fool and I erred exceedingly. This is Saul. Saul is making a confession here to David. Not to God, but only to David. And this is how David responds. Verse 22. And David answered and said, here is a king's spear. Let one of your young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Imagine, let him deliver you, deliver me out of all tribulation. David responds, he says, take my spear, send one of your men. And David says, let the Lord repay and may he repay me. Repay me because I never came against you. But his repayment can be in delivering me from all tribulation. And then verse 25 says this. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Understand this as we look at this. King Saul says, may you be blessed, my son. He tells him, you will do great things. You will prevail. You will have victory. So David goes on his way and so does King Saul. I want you to understand that these are the last recorded conversations between King Saul and David. For King Saul, in the chapters to come, he will be killed in the battlefield. Not only will he be killed, but also his sons, just as David said. As David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed, but the Lord will take care of his own. See, the lessons that we learn from David, he overcame the enemy with goodness. He overcame the enemy with long-suffering. He overcame the enemy with self-restraint. And I want you to understand this, that this is the same way the Lord, the Lord conquers us. I want you to understand that the Lord won our hearts by His goodness, by His long-suffering, by His self-restraint, because none of us deserve to be children of God. I want to read to you the final scripture from Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness? Forbearance, which means self-restraint, and long-suffering, meaning His patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. See, the goodness of David led Saul to repentance with David. The goodness of God leads us to repentance to Him. You and I were all enemies of God. 
You and I were enemies of God. We wanted nothing to do with God. And yet He still died for us. He loves us. And this is the example that we learn here from David, as David is always a type of Christ. As we see how good He was to His enemy, that's the same thing with us. God is good with us. And it is a time now to say, are we going to yield to Him? Are we going to surrender our lives to Him? Are we going to commit to Him or recommit our lives to His goodness, to His forbearance, to His long-suffering? Let us pray. Lord, we thank You again, Lord, as we see these amazing events in the life of David and Saul. So many things, so many gems, so many treasures for us to learn about our enemy and how to conquer our enemies. We were enemies of you. And there are still some here in this place that are enemies of you. For they have not surrendered themselves to you by faith. They have not given their hearts to you. They have not allowed you to come in and to reign in their lives. They have not asked you for forgiveness. True repentance. Which means to confess and to turn away from sin. But they continue to walk in it. They continue to mock you. If there's any here that want to come to a place of yielding to the goodness of God, to His forbearance, to His patience and long-suffering towards us, He is so good. He is so loving, so merciful, so gracious. So forgiving. We don't deserve any of this, but yet He freely gives. And He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. If you find yourself practicing sin, if you find yourself not obeying the Lord and practicing disobedience, it's time to commit or recommit your life to Him. And if this is you, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this, raise your hand and we will pray. Raise your hand high so I can see it. Anybody wanting to do this? Anybody here? Anybody wanting to give your life to Jesus Christ? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Raise your hand so I could see it. Anyone else? If you're not walking right, God's goodness is amazing. He has grace. He wants to make you a child. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to just take the burden of sin off your shoulders and to give you a new life. If this is you, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else wanting to do this? God loves you and He died for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? For the one that raised his hand, I want you to repeat this word after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for sinning against you. I'm sorry for all the things that I have done against you. I ask for your forgiveness. 
I open my heart to you. And I ask you to come and to live in me, to dwell in me, to strengthen me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give me the power to say no to sin and to say yes to God. I thank you and I love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name who is now my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Amen.